dear lord thank you for today thank you for your word thank you that we're gathered again at this time of the day whether it's morning whether it's afternoon whatever time for people listening to the podcast and thank you that we are able to take one step further into truth into first corinthians 15 into conversations around the resurrection and i pray that even as we started last week that the truth and the importance of this singular fact that you rose again i pray that it shines in our hearts i pray that we are able to view all of reality through that lens that jesus rose from the dead and we're able to live it out to the best of your ability in us i pray for clarity i pray uh for ease <laughs> in jesus name amen 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 hi angel hope you're doing well hope you had a good week good to see you um all right hi everyone and welcome to journey through first corinthians part 26 i think <laughs> all right um we're going to continue from first corinthians 15 so at this point, get your Bibles, get your notepads. Hi, Delight. Good to see you too. Um, and I'll be reading from the NKJV as usual. And we're going to dive right in. Don't worry. There's no lengthy preamble like last week. We're just continuing. Right. For those, for anyone who wasn't here last week, uh, I really, really recommend you listen or hasn't listened to the teaching. Please, please, and please do. The quick summary is that Paul is addressing perhaps the final issue in the Corinthian church, which is that there are some people in the body that don't believe in a physical resurrection, right? They don't believe that the dead will rise again. And Paul is like, this is perhaps the most ridiculous thing a believer can say. And he starts by explaining that Jesus cleared that an essential part of faith in the gospel, what you believe to be saved is that Jesus rose from the dead. We've not really talked a lot about the implications. We talked a bit about it last week, but an essential part of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to spend some time today saying that if the dead do not rise, then Jesus did not rise. If Jesus did not rise, there's there's problem. <laughs> problem, problem, another problem, <laughs> right? That is a, that literally Paul's line of argument, that if Jesus rose, then the dead will rise or the dead rise because just was dead and he rose and then by extension more people can follow but if the dead do not rise then jesus do not rise and he he spent some time proving the resurrection very little and um, just with a few verses and which was that number one the scriptures prophesied it i talked a lot about prophecy i talked a lot of external things that were not related to this this uh this chapter and then he talked about how people saw him. People saw him. Finally, him being an apostle. And so, last week was pretty much a reminder of the gospel and how integral uh, the uh, the the resurrection was to that. Today, we're going to continue that same line of thought. Why is it so important that Jesus rose from the dead? Can I not just believe that he came? He was a good man. He he preached love and he died. Why is the resurrection as a believer such a big deal? And that's the goal 
that you're going to leave this teaching knowing how important the resurrection is to your faith not just from a fact perspective that oh jesus rose from the dead but you understand what it really means for you um so let's see how far time will take us and let's start first corinthians 15 verse 12. now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead again like we've said right this is pretty clear if jesus rose from the dead why are there believers saying that this resurrection is not possible and the people in the church maybe greek philosophers like from greek philosophy to thinking we see some of that in acts 17 32 if you remember when paul went to the areopagus right and he was talking about uh he tried to use the gospel and he beautiful beautiful sermon he said that you all believe that how can you say that something you made with your hands is god that if there's really a god then it's not something you can make it's something that made you and all of that and he talked about how we will give account and he has proven that by raising jesus from the dead in Acts 17 verse 32 you can read that chapter of that sermon after this but it said when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked all that said would hear of this later and so it was very very like the greek um climate was the word that's ah is there really life after that can you say someone rose from the dead right if you remember um first Christ, it says it's foolishness it's foolishness to 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 the jews sorry to the gentiles that what do you mean someone rose from the dead you just got up what does that mean and because of that the dead are going to rise right that is essential to christianity and paul is simply saying before he goes on to even say anything else that if just rose from the dead then the dead rise like it's pretty clear then he goes on the reverse in verse 13 if there's no resurrection from the dead then christ is not risen and that's the problem because verse 14 if christ is not risen our preaching is empty and your faith is empty i talked about this at length last week that at the end of the day as a believer the bulk of your convictions yes you might not answer why there was a snake in the garden yes you might not know if the flood was figurative or not yes you might not be able to answer if one saved is always safe. yes you might not know right uh how to i don't know whatever other funny question there is but this one absolute you can stand on it that I might not have answers to these questions. There are things in my heart that bother me when I contemplate Christianity, questions I still don't have answers to. But at least this one thing I know, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And if that one thing is true, I talked about it last week, that it means by implication, a lot of things are true. Number one, it means that there is a supernatural. There is a supernatural. It means that there is a God. If there is a supernatural, it means that there's more to the world than meets the eye. It means that there's life after death. It means a lot of things. And as believers, that is where our anchor lies. It's the same thing with the disciples. As soon as Jesus died, they went back to fishing because that was the only thing they could possibly do. There was no point spreading a message from a dead man and i'm going to talk about that right there was no point if jesus died and stayed dead christianity could not have made it this far it's not possible 
It's not possible. On what motivation? On what motivation? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, that means number one, he's a liar. Because he said time and time again that he would rise from the dead. And his entire message hinged on that fact. He told, imagine the last night he told his disciples, all he was saying was promises. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. You will see me again. I go to my father. Right? In Matthew 16 verse 21, Matthew 16 verse 21, it says from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests, and be killed and be raised on the third day. It was a huge part of his message. A huge part of his message. Right? You say, destroy this temple in three days. I would raise it up. When they were arresting him, he said, what, what he says, you will see the Son of Man ascending on the clouds. Ah, blasphemy. Jesus made a lot of claims. There's this form, um, there's this popular, uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the trilemma. C.S. Lewis's trilemma. That Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was indeed Lord. The three L's, right? Because people usually say, oh, Jesus, you know, it seems like everyone, believer or unbeliever, oh, I really like Jesus, you know, such a cool guy. He just preached love. <laughs> just just said, love your neighbor. That, that's it. That you Christians are complicated. I, I'm not a Christian, but I like Jesus. I don't know if you've heard that before. I'm not a Christian. I don't like you Christians, but I like Jesus. Such a great guy. <laughs> Anybody that makes those kind of statements doesn't really know what Jesus said. If you, if, you, if you claim to like Jesus, but you are not saved, you don't know what he said. Because he didn't just preach love. He said a lot of things about himself. He said a lot of things about sin. He said a lot of things about judgment. He said a lot of things about God. And if he did not rise from the dead, number one, it means he lied. How can you like a liar? Perhaps the greatest liar in all of history. Or it means he was mad, right? A lunatic. Because for someone to make those kind of statements, in his, it's either he's in his right senses and he's deceiving people, or he's not in his right senses. If I wake up today and start saying I'm the richest man in the world, and I start walking like it, acting like it, talking like it, like, oh, just, just buy it, I'll, I'll pay it off for you. They would say that it's either I'm a liar, I'm a fraud, or I'm a, I've gone mad. The pressures of adulting have finally <laughs> driven me out of my senses, Right? Or I'm saying the truth. That's the third thing. That Jesus was not a liar. Jesus was in his full senses. When that means he really was who he said he was. Or he really did what he said he would do. So first of all, if there was no resurrection from the dead, there is no gospel. Because the gospel is a message. The reason it's good news is because it's saying that we were separated from God and through the death and resurrection, it's not just the death, we've been reunited and we have hope of eternal life. If that is, if Jesus did not rise from that, there is no hope. If there is no hope, there is nothing good about the good news. Because what that means, think about it and I want you to take out time a lot of what we're going to talk about in these verses are very very easy to grasp but the message or the power of the message is in reflection 
where you sit down and say, if after everything Jesus said, he died, then what's the difference between him and Gandhi? Think about it. He becomes just another great historical figure that proposed, or with Plato, or with Aristotle, that proposed a way of living. Oh, love your neighbor. Oh, be generous. But he did not really change anything because all he has done is affect this side of eternity. That, oh, he's suggesting that there is a way I can live, that I'll be happier. But if at the end of the day, both the person that listens to him and the person that does not will suffer the same fate, which is just they will die. Then what is really the point? What is the point? If it's all about your experiences on this side of eternity, you can follow any teacher. You can follow any motivational speaker. It really does not matter. If you like, be as rich as you want, you're going to die. If you like, be as healthy as you're going to die. If you like, be as satisfied and happy. Yes, it will, it will be good for the few tens of years or decades you're going to live, but you're going to die. So it's a big deal that Jesus rose from the dead. All of a sudden, he stands alone from every other influential figure in history. He's no longer just doing things that just affect your life in this moment. But his words and his person become integral to life even after death. Only him has that testimony. Every other person, we can only see them as people who had suggestions on how to live and how to, even the ones that believed in the afterlife, how to best prepare. Muhammad had his ideas. The Indian um, sages had their ideas, right? I don't know about the Western, but at least people have always said, oh, do this, oh, do that. But for all of them, it was just suggestions. None of them could confidently say they knew. The most confident would probably be the ones that would say, oh, they had a vision by an angel. And I, I remember when I was still a wild animal on the streets of social media. I'm a lot calmer now in my earlier years. And I'm, I, I, I was thinking about uh, like Islam for, and it really got to me. I'm like, you are basing your entire eternal destiny in the hands of a man that claimed he saw something. That claimed he had a vision. And which I don't want to get too much into his, his questionable character or the things he did, but your entire faith is hinged on the fact that someone said an angel appeared to him. An angel, anybody can come out and say an angel appeared. And that's your entire, and yet you have the right to tease us as believers. At least we have proof of the resurrection. No one can prove that only him saw, nobody else saw it. Only him saw what he claimed he saw, and that's it. Which seems to be more, 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 more rock solid in the face of criticism. It's Christianity. But even beyond that, the point still stands. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you might as well just follow any helpful way of life, any teaching, any philosophy that seems to make sense. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And it, 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 well, yes, you might be richer or happier. So it's, it all ends here. It all ends here. There is no hope. There is no faith. I mean, think about it. The entire God is called a faith. There's something I believe. 
There's something I believe. There's something I'm hoping for. Faith, the substance of things hoped for. There's something I'm hoping for. And if that once you take away the resurrection, you've in, you've basically taken away the hope of salvation. Then what are you doing? What are you doing? Amen. It says not only that. So first of all, our preaching is empty. Your faith is empty because there's nothing it's holding on to. And that's why I said I believe for instance in verse 2, right? It says unless you've believed in vain. It's empty. There's nothing you are hoping for. There's nothing you are hoping for. But not only that, verse 15, and we have been found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, who he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So he's saying that if just did not rise, first of all, it doesn't mean, it doesn't invalidate the fact that there will probably still be a God, right? There's so much in the world. There's There are so many arguments apart from the resurrection again like i said this is not necessarily an apologetic session but if you read the books i i recommended if you if you if you uh take out time to learn these things you it's it's there's a lot we can say about does god exist right and you don't need the resurrection to prove that but the resurrection is a big proof but if what paul is saying if jesus did not rise from the dead yes there's still a god i mean not all of this couldn't have just come from nothing. Even the Big Bang. Where did that start from? How did material, a material universe emerge from nothing? No atheist has answered that question. But what he's saying is that it's a big deal. We've, we've made or we've lied about God. That's what he's saying. If John did not rise from the first of all, our preaching is useless. Our faith is useless, but it gets worse. We have lied about God, or we have we are we are spreading false testimonies about who God is, because we are saying that God rose Jesus from the dead, and He did not. So we are in more trouble. First of all, our life is an entire lie, but we've made even a bigger lie about God. That ah, God rose Jesus, and He said no. God is like ah, with you and who I did not raise this Jesus from the dead. But what does that mean on the reverse? It means that Jesus' work or Jesus' resurrection, it says a lot about who God is. Because as we testify that Jesus was raised from the dead, we're saying certain things about who God is, the Father, and how he interacts with humanity. And how he interacts with humanity. Turn quickly to Romans 3 verse 25. Romans 3 verse 25. Romans 3 verse 25. We're going to read 25 and 26. One of my favorite verses. For those of you that have been here long enough, you know I cannot wait for Romans. I don't know. I just cannot wait. I I love that book so much. Uh, When that time comes. It says, let me start from verse 23. All have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ. Right? Who God... Again, can you see Paul is making a statement about the Father? If Jesus did not, Romans 3.25, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul is a liar. So Paul is doubly damned because number one, there's no hope in Christ. Number two, wherever there was hope, he has already lied against God. <laughs> God said it was going to be through Jesus. 
And God's like, ah, I didn't say that. Where did you find that from? It says, who God sets forth as propitiation. Who God set forth as propitiation, right? Through faith in his blood. That, that That's figurative for faith in his death, right? To demonstrate his righteousness. Pay attention to that. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. There's a lot of, or there are a lot of words here. I don't want you to lose um lose the train of thought the few things i want to pick out number one god made jesus a propitiation or a, a a way to access eternal life to demonstrate god's righteousness like what paul is saying is that god is seen to be righteous because jesus died and you're like what does that actually mean Number one, we're going to get there in Romans. But for now, he goes on to say that, why? Because we can see how God has passed over sins. God can look at David in spite of all he has done and said, oh, David is a man after my own heart. Or God can look at Israel and regardless of so many atrocities, God will say, all you have to do is kill a lamb. Just kill a ram and sprinkle its blood and I would forgive you. What Paul is saying is that if you actually understand what is going on, that cannot be fair. You can't say that because you killed an animal, all of a sudden the bad things you have done, I'm no longer responsible, I'm no longer accountable for my wrong actions. No. If God is just, then I must be held accountable for my actions. If God is just, I must be held accountable for my actions. And like we saw in Hebrews, an animal cannot cut it. What was happening? God was simply sin over sins. Why? Because his sacrifice or his propitiation was coming. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, God was able to look at humanity, past, present, future, to say, yes, you might have done this, but Jesus' sacrifice covers it all. And so what Paul is saying is that the reason God can be considered just is because he has made a substitute available in Christ. If Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, then God is unjust for forgiving sins. Because it's the equivalent of saying you go to a law court where the judge in the face of the of a convicted criminal is saying you know what i'm a very merciful judge you know we say oh you're a merciful i'm a merciful judge i i i am a gracious judge i give to people what they do not deserve <laughs> and i do not give them what they deserve imagine if your legal system worked like that so merciful so gracious someone steals they say you know what let him go we are, we are merciful and gracious Someone someone kills a relative, say, oh, just let him go. Or just let her go. We are merciful and gracious in this community. We have been bought with a price. 
<laughs> if you are the one that committed the crime, maybe you'll be happy. But as a society, that that is trouble. And so we we ourselves, as human beings, we recognize that if punishment isn't meted out, then justice has not been served. And so if that person that did that wrong isn't held accountable to his actions, then we can't say we live in a just society. How much more God, if human beings, day after day, fall short, remember that's what he said in 23, fall short of his standards. How can God be considered just? How can God be friends with Abraham? Do you know who Abraham was? <laughs> we all think he's one of the best people. Do you know who Abraham was? Abraham lied that his wife was his sister twice. <laughs> Not once. Twice. Both times, the people suffered. First of all, the one in Egypt, they had plagues. The other one, they were barren in his palace. Just because they took Sarah on the account that Abraham lied to. Not only that, he gathered as he left. They now had to bless him. They gave him money, servants, for lying, just because he was God's person. So you say, oh, Abraham's blessings are mine. And in your mind, you're saying, oh, Abraham had field. He had cattle. He got it from lying. Abraham had fraud. Abraham had scam. (laughs) Abraham's wife said, we want to sleep with Hagar. He went ahead. He went ahead to sleep with the woman. Eventually, the, the same woman that said go and sleep with the house girl, she was angry. That why why have you brought this Isaac, uh, sorry, Ishmael to trouble me and my family? Abraham sent out to a wilderness where there was no help. They would have died. They would have died. <laughs> they would have died. It's not, uh, it would just go back to your father's. No, he sent them out. They didn't have. If you read the story, a guy laid there. She put this. She said, "I cannot watch him die." That's that's what fa- our father Abraham. That's where he sent them to. <laughs> his own son, because of his wife, him and Sarah. Said, I don't know which one was worse, right? But my point is simple. As in, how can that kind of person be God's choice to start to rebuild humanity? We've talked about David. Every major sin you can think of. Is he adultery? Is he murder? <laughs> Whatever. David did it. David, if it's bad, David did it. <laughs> David did it. Right? And like, oh, God, you so much love David. Why? How can the judge of the universe say that he's going to build his kingdom through an adulterous, murderous man? What kind of God is that? That's the question Paul is asking. That's not just. It's not just at all. At all. At all. Or the same thing to us today. You say, oh, we are the family of God. You, be honest with yourself. You, you are God's child. You, the God that made the world most holy, most righteous. You, you are his son or you are his daughter. You, whether it's in your past life, even in this life, in your present life, you with all your flaws, it's not a channel, all your perfect imperfections. Give my heart, no, you will give account. But what Paul is saying, right, is that God can still 
God can do all these things and still be considered just because Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. That's what he means. So Jesus as propitiation demonstrates that God is righteous. Jesus as propitiation demonstrates that God is just. If Jesus, at least that's the claim. That's the claim of the believer. If Jesus was not in the picture, you serve an unjust God. Just be aware. And you should be scared because anything can happen in judgment. From a God who can do anyhow, anything can happen. But it says, no, through the sacrifice of Christ, we can see the love of God. We can see the mercy of God. But we can still see that God is indeed just. So what Paul is saying is that the resurrection vindicates God as much as it vindicates you. So you can claim to be in God's good books, but God can also claim to be a good God because Jesus rose from the dead. That's how important the claim is. And that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians, that we have been found to be false witnesses of God because we have tied the integrity of his character. We have tied his plans and purposes for all humanity to the resurrection. So he says again in verse 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, we're back. We have been found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified that he rose Jesus from the dead. Whom? He didn't raise up, even dead. Indeed, the dead do not rise. So the resurrection says a lot about you. It also says a lot about God. We'll talk about it more in Romans. Let's go on. It says, verse 16, he repeats his point. If the dead do not rise, then Jesus is not risen. Then if Jesus is not risen, verse 17, your faith is futile. Again, the same thing. It's meaningless. Meaningless. And you are still in your sins. You are still in your sins. I would say what I said again last week. If somehow, somehow, it is said without a, without a doubt that the dead do not rise, I would just become an agnostic. At that point, I would just, I, would, I might just tear my Bible. <laughs> just tear it. Say, Where's the nearest club around here? <laughs> let's, let's go and we, we have wasted how many years now? Serving the Lord. <laughs> let's go and have fun. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Ah, uh, say, ah, Daniel, what about Jay? Jay, Jay what? <laughs> Jay what? <laughs> There's nothing to journey through anymore. The dead do not rise, right? That's how big of a deal it is. That's how big of a deal it is. You are still in your sins. And I want to I wanna compare this with 1 John 1.8. For those of you who have listened to my teaching on 1 John, you understand what John was saying where it says that if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. And believers use that today. And here Paul is just, literally, he just said it. If Jesus did not rise, you are still in your sins. But did Jesus rise? Yes. So are you still in your sins? No. No. I have explained First John 1 already and how a believer should look at that verse. Right? It, it's literally prior to salvation that, oh, what was needed to be saved was a recognition of the fact that you had sins. And I said, if you confess your sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all right, unrighteous. That's salvation. That's salvation. That's not a daily thing. Knowingly and unknowingly, same, uh, uh, secretly and openly. I've talked about how the believer or the man or the person in Christ handles sin in present continuous. But that's not first John 1. <laughs> All right, uh, you can listen to that. I'm not going to go back there. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you are still in your sins. But because he did, you are no longer in your sins. You're no longer in your sins. Because what happened, or what happened, past tense, when Jesus rose from the dead was literally God saying, I approve of this sacrifice. Because anyone can, I can literally walk around saying, hey guys, just believe me. All your sins, God is putting it on me. <laughs> you can all the, all the bad things you've done is me. I will carry it. Woo! I, I will carry it. I am the savior of mankind. I will bear the sins of the world. I can go around making such statements. But if I die, and out of no external agency, apart from the power of God, I come back to life, you'll be like, oh wow. So God actually. This man was saying, this man was saying the truth though. God listened to him. Indeed, all our sins have been put on him because he died. The purpose, it's literally in the resurrection. God is saying the purpose of his death was accomplished. You can trust him. You can trust that your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And I said it last week that if it was not God that rose him up, then God has done a very bad job or his PR, whoever is his PR has to be sacked because it now means that there is a power that even God cannot stop. <laughs> All right? But that's not the case. We see it again similarly in Romans 1 verse 4. Of course, you can't talk about anything salvation and not quote Romans. Romans 1 verse 4. It says, talking about Jesus, that he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. Declared to be the son of God. When you understand that all of Jewish scripture is talking about how man was lost Eden, lost access to life, lost access to, to eternity with God. And how all that has been happening since the fall was God bringing us back to life. And then this person comes on the scene and says, you know what? I will pave, I will pave a way back into the garden. I will pave a way back into to, to, um, to, to proximity with God. And so he dealt with the cause and he showed that way available. That is what the resurrection signifies. If Jesus did not die from the, rise from the dead, nothing has changed nothing it says if just right from that verse 18 those who are falling asleep in christ they have perished <laughs> starting from stephen right till now they have all perished for nothing because in the resurrection there is the taking away of sin and there's the assurance of eternity with god and in our worldview that is the whole point. Like literally, that is the point of the Bible. The Bible starts by explaining that the reason the world is this bad is because we're kicked out of Eden. 
we're sent into the wilderness we're sent into a world of chaos and all we've seen through noah through abraham through david is god bringing us back bringing us back to life making life available we're going to see that in the next part of this chapter but he's saying that anyone that has died in christ if jesus did not rise from the they just died nothing has changed it says in verse 19 probably one of my favorite verses verse 19 and verse uh what's the other verse and verse 32 probably my one of my favorite verses in the entire bible if in this life only we have hope in christ we are of all men of all people the most pitiable of all of all people in the world they should say hey yeah and these christians they have suffered <laughs> that is our lot i like the nlt it says if our hope in christ is only for this life only for this life if all you have in christianity and that's why it goes to show that if your emphasis even as a believer now is just what you have here you're missing out and he says that if your hope is only for this life, you are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. More than anyone else. Can you resonate with that? If you can't, maybe you are not as conscious of the of eternity as you should be. Ah, I, I love that verse so much. I love it so much because it, it gives us something to hold on to. And I'm going to talk about that a bit because... On one hand, how are we the most pitiable? Sometimes what we immediately go to is that, oh, all the bad things that we could have done, <laughs> we did not do it because we love the Lord. I'm keeping myself. I want to honor God. My body is a temple. Oh, I don't get drunk. My body is a temple. Oh, I'm not going to lie. God will not be happy with me. <laughs> oh, uh, I will not take this money that I can so easily take right now and nobody will catch me. That's where we immediately tend to go. And, and many times that's how that verse has been used. That Oh, there's so many things you can do as a believer that is so fun. But as a believer, you know, you're just that dead guy or dead girl, that spirit coco, that uh, SU, that doesn't do anything. Huh? So you just have to be good. <laughs> as though because of the resurrection there are so many things that you really want to do but you say ah but jesus died for me i will not do it <laughs> i will i will suffer in this life so i can have fun in heaven and i will talk about that there is a sense in which that is true but beyond that there's even much more there's way much more because like i said last week at the end of the day, you're going to realize that even a person that gives himself up for the pursuit of pleasure is not going to live a satisfied life. It has both psychologically, from experience, it is being confirmed more and more. Having multiple sexual partners, it it, it, it can trigger depression. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what Christians have been saying, or what God has, has made clear, y'all are catching on, we thank God. Or, oh, living with someone before like premarital it can weaken the the integrity of your of your lifelong commitment stuff like that or doing this and result so what i'm saying here is not that if jesus did not rise for that all the battles you, you could have just done it and because now you are holding yourself 
you're like whole body whole body every day you're like i put my body on that that's why you have to be pitied not necessarily there's a bit of that but there's more there's more number one the reason we are to be pitied more than anyone else is because we have a greater hope than anyone else alive think about it there's no worldview that has a greater hope of humanity a greater view of the purpose and the end goal of creation than the christian does think about it other religions some will say oh you'll be born if you did good maybe you'll be born in a rich man's home not nigeria as many of maybe some many of us in our past like we're, we're, we're misbehaving all the time and so the law of the universe said i will punish you all in your next life you're going to be born in nigeria <laughs> and buari will be your president <laughs> it is judgment for your misbehavior <laughs> or if you did even worse you say ah it's cockroach you are coming back as a cockroach that's that's all you deserve or as a goat but if you did well maybe maybe you would have been born as dangote's child maybe but you didn't just do enough good you you did not just try you could have been bill gates daughter but you messed up somewhere along the line you messed up <laughs> that's some view and it's just that endless cycle it's not a big it's not i i like how you think that is such a pleasant experience well i, I leave you to your thoughts um <laughs> but um it's not that high of a government oh just do good uh, and then you'll be born into something better it's it's christianity is way better we've said something even say just believe in jesus like this and boom <laughs> yeah it's true flying cockroaches the way i'm i'm robbers and serial killers in their in their previous life i am so sure i am so sure <laughs> as they fly like you say you you did bad <laughs> you killed someone the life before there's no other explanation for why you are looking like this <laughs> than the things you have done before but then or even other religions that are work based that probably believe in in the afterlife maybe judaism maybe islam even that it's not a case of oh you are rejoicing in what's to come because it's like oh my god my i'll be weighed on a skill if i've done more but ah, i'm in trouble but if i've done good ah i would enter so even that there's no you don't see the same excitement that christianity conveys should we talk of the naturalist or the atheist or the person that doesn't believe in there's no hope it's literally everything is here now if your loved one dies they are gone like they are they only exist in your memory and in your pictures if you took pictures if you did tiktok they will exist there but that's it there's nothing more to live for because ultimately the world is just humanity just living there's no point but for the christian we wake up every day and i i I've gotten that a lot. I'm sure for many of you, you can probably resonate. People are like, why are you so happy? Why, why do you have so much joy in humanity? Like the world is a very messed up place. In case you do not know, the world is very messed up. But the believer, you see people suffering for their faith. Christians in Afghanistan, Christians in Iraq, joyful, singing, happy, why because they have such a hope of eternity imagine if all of that they it turns out it was lago god was just using them to to play or it was a lie just the fact that we have been scammed 
the way we've the way we've held on to to our hope is enough to make us the most miserable of people. It has nothing to even do with doing bad things. The fact that we've lived every day saying that one day Jesus will return. Literally, that is Christian. One day Jesus will return. He will make all things right and we will reign with him forever. You will wake up every day and that is the leading thought in your mind. That is what directs and controls all your choices, all your actions, only to turn out that it was a lie. As I'm even saying it, I'm scared. Because I feel bad. It's a lot. It's a lot. If there's a way to find out that it was not true, as you, as you just sit down, as you're about to say, just give me a chair, give me a chair. Ah, what, what else do I have? This is my entire hope. This is all I believe. And so there's that sense that because no other group of people have such high hopes in life, but the ones that will potentially experience the most disappointment. You know that thing that, oh, the more hopeful you are, the more disappointed, the more prone you're going to be to disappointment event. That's the believer. Our hopes are so high that if it's not true, that fall, that disappointment, ah, it will be bad. But thank God that's not the case. Thank God that's not the case. Another area where Christians would be most pity, pitied or pitiable, right, would be even in just the trials of life, in terms of persecution. A lot of times, say what you want to say, but in many parts of the world, in fact, more parts than not, Christians are not liked. They don't like Christians. They don't like them. They don't like them. And even till now, people are dying for their faith. Till now, people are being persecuted. Even in developed countries, people are being was was seen as anti-society, were seen as backward-minded, were seen as hypocrites, were seen as uh too too good or too goody two shoes, all sorts of things, of course all wrong and sometimes even the christians we've not played a uh, we've not done a good job in uh explaining that that's not the case but all around the world christians are constantly under peril as in constantly under peril people have died people have lost property people have suffered if jesus did not rise from the dead it's all for nothing think about that if just in right for everyone that has died in the name of god or in the name of jesus rather has died for nothing again we are to be pitied more than anybody else because it seems like we're the most persecuted people group in the world that's another area that's another area and yes, the third one is the, is the common one. But I wanted to even start with the bigger ones first. Before you start thinking of the bad things you could have done. And that's why your life is... No, there's way more that you have to lose than just doing... Because at the end of the day, if you were going to die, it really doesn't matter if you didn't do it or you did it. On the grand scheme of things, you're just going to die. It's just that you didn't live in the moment, right? And the third thing, of course, is that there's a sense in which we didn't give ourselves the pleasures of this life and like i've said even that has repercussions but at least it is what you it was what seemed easier 
right? It's it's harder making a choice to not give in to the pleasures of the life than it is giving in, right? And so you've exercised all of that self-control, even though yes, it will pay off both here and in the world to come. But it's all that self-control for what? All going to die. The guy that sleeps around, gets AIDS and dies at 40 has not lived a less meaningful life than you that lived till 80 if there is no resurrection. Think about that. The guy that just goes around, sleeping around, playing, does nothing meaningful. And at the end of the day, yes. Uh, I've been... If I broke my business, uh, I'm a child. Right? <laughs> right? The guy that lived his life with that mantra. So what? We get drunk, living young and wild and free. Hey, and dies. And the other person that says, oh, heavenly race, I know go tired. <laughs> and lives till all of, lives till 100. Being kind, being generous, being forgiving doing the right thing at the right time, you're both going to die. You're both going to die. You're both going to die. And so, your life is not objectively worse or better because we're all going to die. You can say, oh, but it makes humanity a better place. That is true. You can make the experience of, but if everybody is still going to die, if all that is going to happen is that eventually the sun will explode and everything will die in our galaxy, what is the point? Yes, you can trick yourself into finding some kind. Make the world, heal the world, make it a better place. But even if the whole world suddenly becomes good and we still die, it's, 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 it's kind of like, where then does meaning come from? We can talk a lot more about this and there are people that object that, no, we can still find meaning in death and all of that. But, I want you to just think about it. The way the world is now, if there's no resurrection, then what is the point of a lot of things? What is the point of a lot of things? Amen. So he says, if in this life we have only hope, we have all men most pitiable. He says, but now, thank God for but. Christ is risen from the dead and has become, he didn't just rise from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And by first fruits, number one, first in terms, the idea of the first fruit then was once the harvest season comes, there will be initial fruits that will come. And what that just shows is that the harvest season has come. Meaning that number one, in terms of timing, right, they, they came out first, but it serves as an indicator that there's more to come. In the next few weeks, you can expect more apples because I've seen the first fruits. You can expect more green because I've seen the first fruits. And so the first fruit is, 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 is an indicator of what is to come. And that's the word that was used to describe Jesus' resurrection. That yes, literally, he's the first to rise from the dead. But there are many more coming. We are that many more. We are that many more. We are that many more. There, is, there are more people that would rise because he did. He's, merely, he's the first fruit. Let me say merely. He is the first fruit and we are coming right behind him. It is for since by man came death, by man also came 
the resurrection from the dead. Because of Adam's actions, death spread to all humanity. Because of Jesus' actions, resurrection from the dead will spread to all who are in him. Because of Adam, we're all born outside Eden. We're born into the dominion of sin and death. We're born into a world broken and ruled by evil. Right? But because of Jesus, that way back into life has been made available. It says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. As in Adam all die, in Christ, all shall be made alive. God has decided, God has declared that anyone who puts his trust or her trust in Jesus would shelf his spirit and would raise and will be raised back to life. I will be raised back to life. I will be raised back to life. And so there's that idea that if you choose to stay with what romance? What part? You can put it in the chat, but yeah. I've read Romans 1, 4 and Romans 3 from 23 to 26 today. Um, but if you choose to stay, why in First Corinthians 15, by the way, in case you're wondering, why in First Corinthians 15, 22? If you choose to stay in Adam, away from the garden, you will die. You were born outside. You will actually die. But if you choose to place faith in Jesus and return back into Eden, you will live. You will live. It says, but each one in his order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. That is our hope. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority and power. I would read on and then would explain. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him. Hi, John. I don't understand <laughs> the chat. But, uh, it is evident that he who has put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself would also be subject to him who has put all things under him that God may be all in all. Very, a lot of hymns. A lot of him, 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 him. What is going on? Very simple. Paul is explaining. Oh, all right, you're good. Paul is explaining what will happen in the at the end. Already he has said, in Christ all shall be made alive. How? That at the end, Christ will gather. Remember, if you guys remember Ephesians 1, what is God's plan for all of creation? Ephesians 1.10, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, Ephesians 1.10, he would gather together in one, all things in Christ. Both things that are in heaven, things that are on earth, whether you're on God's side or Jesus' side or not, everything will be gathered under the authority of Christ. We talked about that when he said he has made it, that he has become the head over all things and given it to be us, right? His body over dominions, over principalities, over powers. It's the same thing here. He has made Christ to be head and he will put an end to all rule, authority and power. Of course, talking about spiritual power, resistance, because that is where the world is largely in. The world is the way it is because 
the will of man the free will of man is cooperating with the influence of the kingdom of darkness and jesus has come to put an end to that jesus has come to put an end to sin and death to put an end to the oppressions that's why you see the day he sent out the disciples when they came back he said what i saw satan fall like lightning he's not talking about uh, uh satan that rebelled uh, gathered one third of the angels and they was cast out. No, 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 no. He's saying that the rule and the dominion of, of the devil over the hearts of men has been vanquished because I have come. That's why he said, the kingdom of God has come to you. He said, if indeed I cast out these evil spirits by, by the power of the spirit, then it means the kingdom of God has come. It means that finally, God is putting an end to the work of the devil in our world. This is more than just demon possession. We look at the world today. We see the evil. We see the greed. We see all that is wrong. You can trace it to sin. And he's saying he would put an end to all. That is the hope we have. That God's ultimate solution. Say, oh, why is there so much slave trade? Why are young women being carried all over? Because the world is under sin and death. Why is there so much sickness? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much injustice? Because the world is being, is under the authority of the kingdom of darkness. And God, in one fell swoop, he has already started. Right? He has already started. We are that body that everywhere, there's a lot. I can't, we can do a separate teaching on the kingdom of God. Maybe one day, I don't know if I'm feeling good, we can talk about it. But we are that body where already we are making that's why when jesus have you thought about it jesus was sending us out in matthew 28 before he said go eat therefore what's the first thing he said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth now therefore go because i have all authority you can enforce my reign you can enforce my authority in wherever you find yourself over the works of darkness that is literally what the body is to be doing we are meant to spread that kingdom of god where everywhere we go we put an end to the work of darkness we put an end to the lies and the deception that the devil has placed in the heart of man we say no there is there is hope for you there is salvation for you you don't have to live like this that's what it means for the kingdom of God to spread. People's lives being taken from darkness into light. It will be seen in their actions, in their conducts. Anyways, that's a teaching for another day. It's a teaching for another day. But that is what God is doing now. That is what God is doing now. He says he would reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That at the moment Jesus returns, the dead will rise again. Those that were alive will be changed. And from that point onwards, no one in Christ will ever die. Hallelujah. That's our hope. That is our hope. No one in Christ will ever die. Whether in a spiritual sense, whether in a physical sense, no one in Christ would ever suffer the consequences of sin. No one in Christ would ever be under the authority of darkness, whether sickness, whether disease, whether pain. 
says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then he goes on to say that he has put all things under his feet, talking about the Father. And that when he has put all things under him, he who has put all things is excluded. <laughs> Very simply. So first of all, um, um, he's simply saying, right, that in the hierarchy, that God or the Son will, everything will be gathered under Christ and Christ would hand over the world back to the Father just as it was in creation, just as it was before the fall, just as it was when at the beginning the kingdom of God will be handed back to the Father. It says that the Son would also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And of course, I can't get away from the question, how do we, like, Daniel, how do I read this and still think about the Trinity? How do I read this and still think about the Trinity? I've talked a bit about the Trinity in previous previous teachings, right? But I, I, I want you to, to take a few things, to keep a few things in mind. Number one, and that's why I love the resurrection. It just rose from the dead. You have to believe him more. Like, See, whether you understand the Trinity or not, and that's my point, right? That it gives us something to hold on to in the face of questions, in the face of, 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 of concerns in our heart. Huh? How is Jesus and God, Father? I don't really... If just rose from the dead, you can trust him. You might not understand the Trinity, but you can trust him. Because like we said, he testified that the Father will raise him up right that god raised him up and if god really did then you can trust him you can trust him you can trust him but like we've said many times in the trinity number one it makes sense that it's not something that we can fully comprehend because we're literally talking about an expression of god in three persons same essence god the father creator of all God the Son or the Word revealed in the flesh and God the Spirit indwelling the hearts of man and operating according to the Father's will. We can clearly see different activity all through Scripture. To deny that is to be blind to the Bible. Well, yes, you can have questions that, oh, how is it? How are they warned? How does that, how does it work? Again, there's no analogy we have in the physical. It's like saying, oh, think of a pink elephant. Okay, you can think of a pink elephant because you know what pink is and you know what an elephant is. If I say, think of a color that you don't know, it doesn't make sense. If I say, think of a, I wanted to say nonsense, a blade shamu. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> you don't have any reference point for it, right? It's the same thing with God. There literally is no reference point for the Trinity in creation. I, I think that's clear. And I've explained I have a teaching. I can't remember which one anymore. But if you've listened so far, you probably know which. I don't know. If anyone knows which one it was, why I talked at length. Probably first John 5. I'm not sure. But I've told you like the egg analogy doesn't work. The it can help. It's not perfect. The Daniel is a son, Daniel is a father, Daniel, I'm not a father. Daniel is a brother, Daniel is a friend. It can help. It doesn't work. The uh, water is solid, liquid, and gas. It can help. It doesn't work. What we see in scripture is that God, in essence, is one. God, 
in person is three. However unsettled that makes you feel, that is fine. You have all of eternity to wrestle with that. But that is what the scripture teaches. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what, and we see it in the Son, in the Father, and in the Spirit. In the Son, in the Father, and in the Spirit. As we start to round up, it says, Otherwise, what would they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise, why then are they baptized for the dead? Again, this is one verse where people have argued for years. <laughs> what does it mean to be baptized for the dead? Fortunately, it's a verse where not knowing the meaning does not mean much to your salvation. Thank God. But then different different uh, schools of thoughts. I would share the various ones and I'll share where I lean more towards and why. Right? The first one, baptized for the dead, people people assume or people would argue that it was probably a cultural practice then where if someone maybe died without getting baptized then uh, and he died saved, someone will get baptized for them. It's possible. We don't know because like the Bible is not a book of historical practices on Christianity. Some people have argued from history that it was a practice. Maybe not in Paul's time, but it probably was a practice. But whichever way, there's no reason to draw doctrine from this one verse that will oh, start baptizing dead people. Um, so start baptizing yourself. If someone like someone should replace them in baptism, it's not necessary, but it's possible. The meaning still stands. If you're being baptized for some if for someone who has died, what's the point? If he just died and is gone, why, why, why do we care? Right? But if there's a resurrection, it could make sense. So some people say that. Others would say dead means the dead one. Like the dead is Jesus. So why are we baptized for Jesus, right? We're baptized in the name of Jesus. If Jesus is dead, why are we being baptized for the dead, right? I don't like this one because I don't think there's any strong argument to, to singular what looks to be plural. The dead seems to be plural, like dead people, right? So I, I, I don't really lean towards that. I'm open to the cultural practice one. Again, that's not my strongest point, but that's where people... Some people argue that. Another argument, right, is that um, they are being baptized. It's figurative in a sense, right, that they are being baptized. Let me explain it. Let me explain it so that it makes sense. As you come into Christianity, especially in that time, people were dying. <laughs> like, it was like... Uh, consultancy companies right <laughs> high attrition rates as people are resigning or going somewhere else people are people are applying so they are always hiring that's how christianity was people are dying people are getting sick people are dying people are getting sick and so um some theologians argue that okay it was kind of like figurative in the sense in which as you are coming into the faith you are being baptized there are people that are dying as though you are replacing them in the body Right, so you're saying you're being baptized for the dead. Um, it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense. And I mean, the general message is true that people are dying, people are coming into the body, right? But the way the, the verse is phrased, it, it makes it seem as though it's something that 
certain people are doing it's not if it was if the true meaning was oh as you get baptized you're just filling in the ranks of people that have gone before you then it applies to everyone who got baptized when they were saved i don't know if that makes sense right paul won't say like what would they do who are baptized from the dead as if there was a certain category of people that were being baptized for the dead right um so it makes sense i don't know if that's the meaning i don't really lean towards that i think that would be like my third highest uh so my second is the cultural practice my third would probably be this i don't like the i know that the dead is jesus i don't i don't really i don't really uh <laughs> i don't really like that but then the final one which i tend to lean more towards is that baptism is figurative right even that you could argue against it I, i've just presented the four different views and it really doesn't matter so much i'm not a greek scholar yet so i can't even argue with uh, a lot of things in that regard but the final argument was or the final interpretation of being baptized for the dead is figurative of persecution right because like i said it seems to be something that is peculiar to a small group of people in the sense in which that these are people that are undergoing so much persecution and again following context we're going to see it in verse 32 yes and verse 31 as well which is why i think verse 30 as well um because as you read the verse it says and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour i affirm by the boasting in you which i have in christ jesus i die daily that's not figurative that's not i put my body so i say oh i die and yes there's a sense in which we kill the flesh every day but paul is talking about suffering in a real sense and he says it that i am dying daily i am dying daily because of my experiences because of my claim i died daily. he says if in the manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die for tomorrow we die i'll get back to that so i think in verse 29 there's an allusion when he says we're being baptized from for the dead if the dead do not rise at all then why are they baptized for the dead i i i like the cultural argument of maybe people were actually being baptized for dead people because it seems to make sense right it just reads naturally but if that's not the case then the close alternative would be the the analogy of being exposed to death every day and baptism they will refer to the experiences of persecution and suffering right again you don't have to like live here with i know what baptized from the dead people have been arguing for years people way smarter than us and they've not reached a conclusion so i'm just sharing the four different points i like the cultural argument and i like the the uh figurative figurative argument of being baptized for the dead jesus used it in the same way have a baptism to be baptized with and oh it behooves me to drink of it right he tells james and john would you be able to drink of the same cup or go through the same baptism that i'm going to talking about his suffering so there's a sense in which you can use going through an experience and use the word baptism to describe it right so uh let's go on verse 32 the dead do not rise again just like verse 19 
what is the rational thing to do if all we have in this life is all there is? Paul says it here. Living young and wild and free. <laughs> that is it. You cannot blame someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection for the life they are living. They are doing what makes sense. It's one of two things. It's either you would slip into severe depression by realizing that everything is meaningless or you slip into severe uh, just living in the moment vibes, just enjoyment. That's one of the two. Is that you'll be like, oh, ah, Daniel, let's go party. What's the point? We're all going to die. <laughs> you'll be that kind of person. Ah, Daniel, let's go. Let's go. For What's the point? We're all going to die. That's how you, soon they'll stop inviting you out. They'll just leave him. He's going to die. <laughs> or you'll be that person. Like, ah, let's go have fun. Because I'll soon get old and I won't be able to do things I could do when I was young. And I'll die. I'll get sick and I'll die. What's the point? Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That is the rational response. If Jesus did not rise from the dead or if there is no resurrection from the dead. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's how big a deal the resurrection is. And I, I want you to, th- as we round up now, I want you to think about that. Do you live your life with such a perspective? You live with the resurrection in view. Does it shape your day to day that you're like, if not for the resurrection, my life would have gone a very different route. But because Jesus rose from the dead, I can make certain decisions in the light of eternity. It might cost me now, but on the long run, it makes sense. That is what the resurrection does as believers. If there is a life after this, then there's a way to live in the moment. If there was no resurrection, we might as well just live like nothing matters because nothing does. But if there is a resurrection, then this is not all there is. That career that I'm killing myself over, it's not all there is. That 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 finance, financial whatever, that chase after money, it's not all there is. There's, there are things more important than pleasure. There are things more important than just living for the, for the moment. If there is a resurrection, that is the mindset that the believer should live with. And every day you should be able to wake up and say, Jesus died and rose from the dead. Because I believe that he rose from the dead, I have been translated from darkness to light. I have a living hope. And I can, I, as I step out today, Everyone I interact with, everything I do reflects the fact that I believe that there is a hope after death. That is the believer. That is the kind of life that starts to, people are like, wow, why are you so different? You're like, oh, let me tell you of the hope that I have, of how God has fixed everything wrong with this world in the resurrection, of how God has proven himself, of how God has put an end to the sin of Adam, to the fall, to the to the works of darkness in the resurrection. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And that's why Paul ends in verse 33. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Or as your parents and your mother specifically probably told you growing up many, many times over, evil communication 
corrupt good manners, right? For most people, this is where we got that 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 phrase from. And what is Paul simply saying? Be careful of your association. The word com- company or com- is the word homilia, and just means companionship, the people you do life with. Be careful about your friends. Be careful about your influences because it can lead you astray. And ironically, I didn't know this before until I was preparing actually for this teaching. Paul is actually quoting a Greek poet. <laughs> the same way he said for um, Ositaitos or so, that said, just as the poets have said, Cretans uh, are lazy people. Or the same way Paul will quote in Acts 17 to the Areopagus, just as your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. It's the same thing Paul is doing here. He's quoting another, which shows that Paul was well read. Paul knew what classical philosophers were saying. <laughs> and he says, evil communications corrupt good manners. Yes, this directly has to do with doctrine, but it applies to every area of your life. I hope you are aware. I hope you are aware. If you do not want to be influenced negatively, be careful with the people you associate yourself with. And the reverse is the case. If you want to be influenced positively, surround yourself with people that are living that kind of life. Amen. And finally, it says, awake to righteousness. Wake up, be alert. I I like how the analogy of sleep is very, very consistent in our Christian walk. That as believers, it says wake up. Because sleep, what is sleep? You are tired. Your senses are dull. You don't want to, you've been holding on or you've been awake for a while. You are tired. And it says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. This do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Meaning that there are people in your congregation that are not saved. <laughs> They don't have the knowledge of God in them. And it's your shame as a church that the resurrection has become such an issue. A whole Corinthian church, you are having discussions about whether people will actually rise. Since I say this to your shame, that there are some among you that don't have the knowledge of God. It says, are weak and don't sin. Don't, don't take on this kind of teachings. Don't take on this kind of teachings. Amen. And so as we round up today, pretty much on time, uh, thank God I said attempt. <laughs> so nobody says, ah, you said we'll finish. I didn't say we'll finish. <laughs> I want you to, like I said, a lot of this will come from meditation and what you take from here. Two things that you should try and do. Spend time meditating on what the resurrection means for you as a believer and how it should change the way you live your life. How the fact that there is life after death. So I know that as Anne is looking for my trouble, and I'm looking for trouble now, even after we die, she can still look for my trouble. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean for me as a believer? You should think about it. <laughs> what does that mean? You have loved ones. You want to see them again. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You have friends. You want your friendship to actually be said, be best forever. Tell them about Jesus. If I truly believe Jesus rose from the dead, I want I want that to be your first assignment. What does it mean for my convictions? I tell you, and I say it all the time, the only reason I'm still saved is because I believe without a doubt 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Beyond the miracles, beyond the is that Jesus see is that Jesus rose from the dead. In a world of crazy things happening, in a world where you can have all sorts of Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean for me? How does that influence my life? And the second thing I want you to do is intentionally build your conviction on the resurrection. If possible, read up more materials on apostles. How can I know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead? It will keep you. It will make you confident. Literally, you can interact with people and just go straight into the resurrection and say, guys, like whatever, think any question anybody can throw at a believer. Just, 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 just say, why is that? Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> How do you know that Jesus was resurrected? Is there really Jesus was dead? What about this religion? Did you did your your guy write from that? No, Jesus was dead. <laughs> literally, Jesus was dead is the answer. It's literally our biggest defense and attack. Say, oh, but Muhammad, oh no, Jesus was dead. Muhammad was dead. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. That's what you just say. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. That is your conviction. Ah, uh, you Christians, how can you believe that? Jesus was dead? You really think no, Jesus rose from the dead? That's that's what I believe. That is what, and I will rise with him. That is what it means to be a believer. That is the hope that we have. Amen, amen, amen. With that, we come to the end of today's teaching. Any questions before we pray and share the benediction? Yes. So, Hallelujah, He arose. Everything changed that morning. Everything changed. Any questions? I have a question. Please go ahead. How would you respond, or how would you put it out to someone who, let's say, for example, doesn't really care about the afterlife? You know, they're okay, you know, with this life. They just, they don't think much about what happens, you know, when they die. So it's, so it's not really of concern to them whether, you know, they rise with Jesus or not. So, like, how would you, like, you know, tell those... How, how would you make yeah. the importance of Jesus' um, rise important yeah. to them? Or just make them understand? Awesome. Again, the answer is just... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you would simply do the exact same thing Paul did in Acts 17.31. Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> I've said it so much, like is in a sense it's double-edged because it means that there is life after here and what you have to do to that kind of person is make them realize that whether or not you believe in the resurrection if jesus rose from the dead you will be judged because jesus said it do you, do you get my point and so while it might not be the positive it might not first of all be the positive stimuli of all you want to say something? No, no. Okay. While it might not first be the positive stimuli of, oh, there's something to look forward to. The mere fact that you are not ready to see God in the next life is a good starting point. And that's what Paul said in Acts 17. In verse 30, he said, it says, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. 
He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So, on one hand, the reason the resurrection is such good news is because we were dead. It's not a case of if you don't, if you are satisfied with this life, you will die and that's it. The resurrection, Acts 17, verse 31. Also, I want everyone to take out time and read Acts 17, 22 to 34, that entire teaching, and just take a look at it. But what was I saying? Yes, that if the resurrection did happen, there's life after death for both the person who believes and the person that does not believe. What the resurrection does is that it gives us assurance that for we who are in Christ will be raised into life. But like the epistles also say, for those who are outside of Christ, they'll be raised unto judgment. And so, just like every other classical teaching on the gospel, it was repentance, right? A realization that as you are, you are currently in Adam. You are outside the garden and you are under the domain of death. You will stand before God and give account. So yes, you might not care for a life after death, but I'm sorry. You don't get to choose. All right? You will stand before God. Do you really think that you are you you can you can win that case when you do stand before God? And so the resurrection of Jesus becomes not just something we can rejoice in, but it becomes that safety net through which we escape the judgments we deserve, if that makes any sense. And so if the person doesn't respond well to the route of there is eternal life in Christ, help the person understand that when they stand before God in judgment, they will not probably come out of that situation discharged and acquitted. Right. Um, again, of course, I, I, I like I like that question because I've been out for evangelism a couple times, and uh, it's the same thing. People are like, ah, I don't I don't care. I don't really I don't want to live forever. I don't really care about life after I die. All those kind of things. But beyond that, help the person realize that. As they stand before God now, there's a problem. There's a problem. And many times, a person doesn't get to appreciating the goodness of God until they've seen why they need it, right? And so we can help them get to that point. We can. Um, yeah, I hope that helps. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you. Awesome. Great question. Thank you. Any other questions? I have one more question. Please go ahead. Um, so, all right, just a moment. Yeah, so, um, this one is relating to, like, you know, having to actually preach the gospel. So, um, someone said, said, um, like, in a group conversation, I was like, you know, they were telling me of a story of the grandfather who was Catholic, he was loving and stuff, but, like, she was saying that she didn't that it, her grandfather didn't need to preach to her, you know. She could like see it in his like with, without the grandfather having made an effort to like tell her about Christ and stuff, you know. She could see that her grandfather was a Christian, um, but even though she later came to Christ, not necessarily by her grandfather, 
you know, she did eventually come to Christ. And someone was like trying to stress the need of, you know, just living a Christian life, you know, without needing to actually preach the gospel. And I wanted to like talk and say like, and tell them like, you actually need to preach the gospel. Like it's not just by showing mm. it and stuff like it's important but i just didn't want it to be all words and stuff but like, so like how would you like respond to that kind of statement mm. good question <laughs> good question um it's a very popular uh school of thoughts increasingly more that evangelism seems to be not as appreciated anymore that oh just just live like jesus and people would see it and they'll ask you why are you so different and say oh come let me tell you <laughs> and first of all i want to make it clear that there's truth to that that our conduct is a huge christian testimony we see it all through scriptures, actually. Even when Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father. But was talking about conduct, a life lived by the Spirit, right? First Peter, I think 3 verse 1, that like, wife, love your husband, submit that who knows that beyond words, maybe by your actions, they will come to the Lord. Peter said it clearly that a husband can see how faithful the wife is and probably vice versa, and come to Christ. I would never downplay your conduct. Where I have an issue with is why we have to make it an either-or. Many people that push for conduct evangelism have made it seem like it is a replacement. That, oh, don't just say things to people. Show them that you are different. I agree with you. Live like Christ, and people will notice. For good or for bad, but they will notice that you are different. But it's not an either or. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is a message. We read in 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians um, 15. Sorry, this same chapter, I think verse 1. Uh, sorry, no, verse, verse 2, which I preached to you. Verse 11, so we preached and so you believed. The problem with conduct evangelism is that number one, the person still has to hear the message to be saved. They can't figure out the facts of the gospel until you tell them. And so what people say is that, oh, let that be the fishing hook that uses that you use to draw people, then you now tell them the message. But the second problem with that is that people have to consistently observe you over a period of time or see you in certain situations that highlights your Christianity, you're not going to always have that luxury. And if you understand how important the gospel is, if you realize that this person you are meeting, you might not see them tomorrow. You will not wait for conduct evangelism to save them. So while yes, I really do believe that our conduct can be a huge part of our Christian testimony, I I do not take the either or approach. Preach the gospel and uh Thank you, Angel, which is true. There are many people that have good conduct and are not Christians, right? If, if, at the end of the day, like I, I had a specific example in school where my uh, one of my classmates, he's like that he really likes me, that I don't do anything wrong. 
I I don't cheat in exams. I don't drink. I don't sleep uh, like I don't cohabit. All of that. I'm not I'm like that, that's that's. I'm like I at those points. I have to now tell him that I said, bros, no, <laughs> I am not that. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But here is something that the, let, let me tell you about the gospel. It can change your life. But much more, it is that you come as you are. It is that you come as you are. I'm not doing all this because he's Indian. So he's probably thinking about it that, oh, wow, this guy is going to ball in the next life, right? So it's like, ah, that, oh, Christianity at the end of it is a religion that makes you act. Says, oh, it's, you're such a good Christian. You know, when people say that, they're saying that you, you act well and they've missed the whole point of Christianity. Because they're like, oh, I could never be like you. You're such a good Christian. Just like that. That's that's the exact opposite <laughs> of the gospel. That is why we need to preach. To let people know that it's not by works. To let people know that it's not because we do good that we are good Christians. All right? So, while yes, Christian conduct is important for your testimony. But at the end of the day, we have an obligation to preach it is the message of the gospel that saves and if it is a message then with or without conduct we should say it wherever we go so i think that that would be those are just a few thoughts um there's a lot more you can say but those are just a few thoughts yeah thank you so much yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was really you're welcome thank you for the questions thank you for the questions like it doesn't have to be that or really I, like why not why? If at the end of the day is about people's eternal destinies, do all you can. Does do you see marketing agents say, "Oh, let's just let's just do use billboard"? No. If they want to get a message, across, billboard, social media, TV ads, radio, they are coming at it. We have, why can't Christians? If if our message is more important, if our brand is bigger than Coke, why can't we? We'll do conduct. We'll preach no door to door. We'll put it on social media. We'll uh uh. We'll use entertainment why can't we use every avenue if our message is that important it would show in the way we push it right so i don't like the either approach if, it, if our message is, let's go for every means possible okay all right any other questions all right seems like they are not i would pray would share the benediction and we call it today thank you all for your time as always I appreciate it. I don't feel sleepy anymore. Maybe as, as soon as I end this meeting, sleep overwhelm me. <laughs> oh my gosh. The attempt failed. <laughs> we go again next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for once again, for us being reminded of the power of the gospel, of the value of the resurrection. And even now we celebrate in that fact that our hope is not in vain. We are not of all men most pitiable because you did rise from the dead. You did rise again. You made that path available. And thank you for faith in you. Thank you that our sins are taken away. Thank you that we can stand before you blameless and righteous. Thank you for the hope of eternity that we have. We rejoice in that fact that we have been translated from death into life. And I pray, Lord, that we we carry on. 
for the rest of the, the next week and even for the rest of our lives meditating and rejoicing in this fact that indeed we are saved thank you lord jesus for in jesus name we have prayed amen 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 i will share my screen uh feel free to unmute yourself and we take the benediction graciously prepared by Buki and Ayo. Buki is here today. <laughs> All right. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and do of the word. I'm a teacher of the word and the word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, I am trained in righteousness and in the word, awesome awesome thank you guys so much for your time i would see you again next week same time uh invite a friend share the teaching don't forget to like and subscribe <laughs> have a great week guys bye